How many of you picked up the notes coming in tonight for our lesson tonight? Did everybody get the notes? Anybody need the notes? Anybody need the note, the new notes? All right, Bob, you're getting a workout tonight. I appreciate you. He's going to, but Bob will come around. So as he comes around, just wave at him and he'll give you, those will be the notes we'll be in to maybe the latter part of tonight and then next week for sure, because uh, we certainly won't get through all of this tonight. But we're going to just pick up kind of where we left off last week. We're talking about soul liberty and, uh, uh, the next point that we're looking at is this, practical implications of soul liberty. So we're going to look at this. So it, there's freedom to worship and serve God without coercion. That's what, when we talk about this soul liberty, and, it, and it's that every person, if I review this, basically soul liberty is this. Every person has the right in the, to believe what they choose to believe. If they want to read the Bible and study the Bible and believe the Bible and trust Jesus, they have the, the, the right to do that. They have the freedom to do that. Now, if they choose to reject that, they have the right to do that. That's soul freedom. That's what we're talking about. Soul liberty. We, each person has the, the right to do that. But they also will give account to the choice they make. They will answer, and, that, and we'll look at that again. But... Uh, so in this, one of those key, key principles or implications of this is freedom to worship and serve God without coercion. So it's the foundation of religious liberty and separation of church and state. And we'll talk about that. Don't jump to any conclusions there. Individual soul liberty, soul freedom, soul competency simply means the personal freedom to choose in matters of faith. It means that individuals have the liberty to read and interpret the Bible or reject the Bible as their conscience dictates. Soul liberty means that everyone has the freedom to approach God and serve God, even to reject God, as a matter of individual choice. Now, I don't know anybody in here that would disagree with that. Does anybody disagree with that? I mean, that's a key. When you talk about one of the, I mean, this is one of the key things that we believe as Baptists. And the Baptist, Baptist people and Baptistic people have always been this way. We, we've always thought this way. And when you read the scriptures, you can't really come at it any other way. I mean, there's some, some things that are contrary to this. So the principle of soul liberty is also the foundational pillar upon which rests the concepts of religious freedom and the separation of church and state, which, contrary to much popular opinion, does not imply the separation of God and state. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to get into that more later on because separation of church and state is a separate Baptist doctrinal distinctive, and we'll, that's one that we'll get to uh, later on in this study. Separation of church and state, which isn't even a constitutional thing, uh, people have tried to make that to where there's, you know, government can't be in anything to do with God, except government's in everything to do with God. Our government has become a God, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a false God. And, and you, may, you may think I'm crazy by saying this, but our government is a God. It wants us to worship it and give our tithes and offerings to it. And it wants to make decisions in your life. That's what the government wants to do. Now, is that any one person? I don't know that it's any one person. It's, uh, it's a whole system that Satan has set up and worked in. And it's, it's you know, governmental systems all across the, the world are, are in that same way. Because it's going to get the state, the state, the state. It wants to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I read something just recently about how many people have been added to the federal government payroll in the last little while. It's ridiculous. So they'll just control. Eventually, it'll just be a, it'll just, everybody will work for the government if they have their way. And uh, they'll give you, they'll tell you what you're going to make, and then they'll take what they want to take from you and, and because they've so wonderfully cared for you. I digress. 
I'm feeling better, I think. Um, all right, so uh, that's, that's one of the implications. There's, there, there's, you can serve without coercion. There shouldn't be that coercion, okay, uh, when you have that freedom uh, to believe what you want to believe. So there's freedom to disagree without fear of reprisal or punishment. There should be that. Another aspect of soul competency is that anyone has uh, the right to disagree with others in matters of religion and conscience without fear of reprisal. As Baptists, we will vehemently denounce and offer counterarguments against any belief or practice with which we disagree. Amen? We should do that. I mean, that's part of, a part of witnessing to people is sharing the truth. Sharing why? Because we care. Because what you're believing, if it's wrong scripturally, it's wrong. And, it, and, and if, you're, if your doctrine is off and you don't believe in salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you, you know, you're, you're lost. And you may think, well, because I, I got baptized, I'm going because I joined the Catholic Church, I'm going to heaven. No, that's not what Scripture says. So we're going we're gonna to come against that. We're going to speak against that. We're going to speak truth, speaking truth in love. Amen? We're going to do that. We will seek by many means to persuade others to the correctness of our views, and we will use all righteous means available to fight for the right to be heard and, and for our opponents to be heard as well. Yet Baptists will never persecute. We will exhort, argue, and lobby, but we will not coerce. We, we will witness and we will teach, but we will not compel others by force to comply with our beliefs. We would rightly pray for the same consideration from others who would uh, uh, disagree with us. And I'd say that there's a huge population in the country today who disagree with us, and they do everything they can to coerce us not to believe what we believe. You know, so there's, we don't get uh, Christians... Aaron made a, a, a comment uh, today. We were talking... Um, I think it was with y'all. We were talking with that young man yesterday and, and just sharing that... that um, uh, you know, there's the decision to be made. I don't know where I was going with that. That train jumped the tracks. Uh, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to coerce. But there, there are those out there who would try to coerce so that we can't believe what we believe. And yet, okay, here's where I was going with that. We fight for the right of people in this country. I, I'm so sick of hearing about the oppression of the homosexual community and the transgender. We're just like, look, don't shove it down our throat. Don't put it in our schools and teach our kids this stuff. If, you wanna, if that's the lifestyle you want to live, I fully believe they have the right to do that. Amen? They have the right to choose that. Now, they don't get to choose the consequences of choosing that lifestyle. Whatever it brings in this life, that, that's what, that they've made the choice. It'll, it'll come upon them by, based on their choice. Now, if they go into eternity rejecting Christ, they're going to answer for that. They'll stand at the great white throne of judgment, and they'll be judged in the judgment. The sentence will be passed, and they'll be sent to hell. And, it, and it's a shame. And so we, we try to speak truth in love. We're not, we're not trying to oppress people. We're not saying you can't. I think Christian people have always said, you have the right to believe what you want to believe if you truly understand the Scriptures. Well, we're going to teach you. We want to show you the right way. We don't want to just coerce someone to act like they believe a certain thing. There's no good in that. right? We want them to truly come to a belief in, in what is right. Now, are we arrogant that we, we're right? I, I think there's probably some things... That I think... Baptist, we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well, y'all really messed that one up. You agree? I mean, I don't think we're perfect. 
I know there's probably going to be some passages or something that we've, we've really misinterpreted or, 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 or just not done a good job of, of living it out or whatever. We're going to answer for that. But if you ask me if I think Baptists, I think Baptists are the, are the, the, the this is probably in the right word, we the rightest. <laughs> we the rightest of them out there. And so many of the, so many of the denominations today say, oh, y'all are, y'all are, um, y'all are so judgmental. Y'all are so, you know, you're so arrogant or so judgmental. I'm like, no, we're just biblical. We get in the book and we read the book. You, you make up stuff, you just pull out of the sky and make it your belief that doesn't come from the Word of God. I think I shared with y'all, I had, an, I had a, I don't know, maybe a great aunt who was a member of a very liberal Presbyterian church in Isla, Georgia. It was the church that I was taking and dropped off at it when we were little, six, seven, eight years old, I guess, and all we ever went to was Sunday school. Um, but I remember we were at some meeting, I met her, and she was talking, but she and my brother got in a discussion about their beliefs. And one of the things she said is that we just, we just draw the line further out to include more people. And I remember my head about exploded. You know, I was a young Christian at the time, but I was like, you can't just, you can't just draw the line. You can't just say all of a sudden, oh, no, no, those scriptures about living this way, that way, that way, that way. No, no, no. You can't just erase that. You can't just do away with the fact that you have to make a choice to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, no, no, no. That's not really that important. We just draw the line bigger to include whoever. No. That's why we share. We don't try to coerce, but we want to share truth. That's what we should do. Amen? We should care enough to share. And, 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 and I don't want to get in arguments with people I'm, I'm, when, when it comes to Scripture. If they're arguing, if they're arguing, we're not getting anywhere. Because when they start arguing, the wall goes up. And now they don't hear a word I'm saying, and I probably don't hear a word they're saying, and we're just trying to be right. We're just trying to... So we want to have great discussion, we want to have conversation, but we want to do it out of love. We want to try to win people to Christ. All right, next thing is each person is ultimately responsible to God for his choices. Kind of already mentioned that, but Romans 14, 12, um, which is our key reference in this, says, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's each person. Every person who has ever lived will stand before the Lord, either in the great white uh, throne judgment or in the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ will be different. It won't be a judgment of heaven or hell. It'll be, it'll be a different judgment. This is the, the, what we have done with our life, we're going to give account to it. We're either going to receive rewards for things or some things are going to burn away. We're going to miss that. But every person, every person on the face of the earth who's ever lived will stand before God and account for himself. I think if they're going to account for themselves, they, they need to make the decision for themselves. Amen? They, they need the freedom for that. Baptists believe that our conscience uh, must be free to answer to God. This means, for example, that we will not baptize an infant or young child before the age of accountability and rob him of the freedom to choose baptism as, as one who con, uh, consciously professes faith in Christ. Now, we've, we've already looked at baptism, so we won't go into that. But we don't, that's what, we don't do infant baptisms. We do baby dedications. That has really nothing to do with the child. It really doesn't, other than you're making a commitment as a parent to raise that child in the fear and, and nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen? 
And it's a church as a church body. We're, we're coming alongside. It's not the church's job to raise your children. We're here to come beside you and to help you with that. If you ain't doing anything at home, don't get mad at us when your kids ain't acting right. Amen? Because the church is, we're a help in that. And we want to come alongside you and help. So we do the baby dedication. That's what we're doing. We're not baptizing children and saying, oh, you're good. You're going to heaven now. And there are denominations that do that. Oh, your sins washed away. All your original sins washed away with that, with that christening. And now you're in the church. You're part of the church. You're on the rolls. You're good to go. And they go to hell. If they grow up in that, live in that, live that out and die in that, they go to hell. Deceived. Lied to from, from infancy. We don't do that. We're not going to baptize children. Children, even today, we have children that make strong decisions uh, for the Lord. And, and, but we want them to understand baptism. We don't rush into that. And, and when they get, if they're seven, eight years old, nine years old, and they get baptized, we don't make them a member of the church either. There are some churches that do that. They automatically, I shared that story early on when I was here. We kind of... Just in a practice, we did a, we stopped doing that. Because you, you got you got a family with a five-year-old. Five-year-old, six-year-old makes a decision, gets baptized, and becomes a member of the church. Nobody else is a member of the church. They don't do anything with the church. Kid doesn't know. What does that mean, member of the church? So when kids get up to, they've been baptized, we'll baptize them. When they're ready, they understand baptism, we'll baptize them. Then when they get up an age... 10, 11, 12 years old, and they, they go, man, I want to join the church. I want to be a part of the church. And they understand what that's about. We want them to take the class just like you adults do. We want them to understand where we come from, what we believe, where we're going, what we're doing. If they're going to be a part of the church, they need to understand that. Amen? So we do that. We're not going to rob children of making that choice. They, they choose, they, they've, been, they've been born again. God has convicted their heart. They've responded to the, the gospel, uh, the conviction. They've responded to the gospel. And they're ready to, when they come to that place of understanding what baptism is, we will baptize them. Um, we'll oppose any form of state-sponsored church, such as, for example, the Church of England, the Lutheran Church in Germany, or the Roman Catholic Church in Italy. We oppose state church. Folks, we don't want that here. I think some people, Christians, think we ought to have, you know, America should be, um, should be we should have a state church. But you don't want a state church. Oh, there's so, well, there's, well, there's so many problems with that, and we'll get into that, but there's so many problems with that. What if they're not, what if that state church doesn't believe what we believe? Now you got the state church oppressing you. Okay, so then there's your freedom is gone in that. So we, we, don't, we don't want that. Just know we don't want that, and we'll, we'll get into that deeper later on. We will oppose the intervention of a priest or anyone else to represent us before God. And we've already talked about that in, in, in this study. Uh, we don't have someone representing us. Don't come to me and go, Preacher, would you go to God for my sin? Would you talk to Him for me? No, I'll talk to God for you, but you're going to talk to God. I'll be glad to pray for you, pray with you. I'll pray about you. But I'm not going to pray in the sense of interceding for you. I'm not going to be the one. I'm not, your, I'm not, your, I'm not the advocate. I'm not the go-between. I'm not, I, Jesus is there, right? You talk to Him. Uh, I, I can help you. I can, enter, I can help you. I can pray with you and for you and all that. But I'm, I, can't, I can't intercede and go in between for you. Not a priest. Um, that each person is an individual before God and therefore must have the freedom to believe as his conscience dictates is the essence of soul liberty. Now here's a, 
uh, in our notes. It's a quotable quote. So the individual soul is answerable to God alone in the ultimate analysis. A true understanding of soul competency rests upon the freedom to reject or to accept God and His revelation. The true Baptist is tolerant of others from the, uh, from the very nature of the case. What he claims for himself, he accords to them. So if we believe that, that, that liberty, we should have that liberty, then we, we provide that liberty for others. We believe everyone should have that liberty. Now, there's two cautions regarding individual soul liberty. Um, first is this, not all individual choices are right. Okay? Not all, all, not all choices are right. So Baptists adamantly believe that soul liberty does not imply that all beliefs are equally valid. So by saying that we think every person has to make their own choice, we're not saying that when you make that choice, that that choice is right. And it, it's kind of a nonsensical thing anyway, because if, if these two things are different, two, things that are different are not the same, right? That's pretty simply said. Things that are different are not the same. So if, if what this one says and what this one says are two different things, they're not the same. And they can't both be right. Um, Proverbs 14, 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And there are people who will, will just fight you to go to hell. They will reject truth and they will fight the truth you present. They, they will fight the truth of Scripture to believe what they have chosen to believe to their own eternal damnation. But they have the right to do that. In fact, Baptists strongly disagree with any beliefs, practices, or worship forms. Uh, I'm sorry, many beliefs, practices, and worship forms, uh, even within professing Christianity. You know, there are today there are so many different um, beliefs and branches of what they would say is Christian. We're Christian. Um, there's so many. When I don't know, you go back a hundred years, you had a handful, and they were. They were different. There were things that were different, but boy, there were a lot of things they were more alike a hundred years ago than, than, than obviously now. People start focusing on the wrong things, emphasizing the wrong things, throwing out truth because we don't like truth. We don't, we don't like that part of that. So let's cut that out of there. Let's not talk about that. So we would disagree with a lot of, of um, well, I mean, we see it. There are, uh, all right, so put it in context a little bit. When we have our, when we have our, um, when we have our, I guess at some point our, our sunrise service became a community event. And it became, I don't know how that happened. I, I just, I don't know the history of it. I don't know. But every church in the community basically came and took part in that. And so when I got here, and the, John and myself and Raymond, we talked about this. And we were, we were in absolute agreement that we didn't, we didn't need to continue to do that that way. Because doctrinally, we don't believe the same things. And, and there may be things that the bottom line, we, may, we might would agree on that, but there's so many doctrinal issues that we would not agree with. And so when, when, you, when you stand there, and this one's giving the message, this one's having the prayer, and this one's reading the verse, and this one's doing this, what you're saying to the community is we're all the same. Just whoever you most connect with, you should visit that church. And I'd say no. I'd say, I'd say there's one church, if you want to come to a Bible-believing New Testament church in Geneva, you come here. 
that's, maybe I'm a little biased, but I think, we're, I think I'm right in that. But we're not going to lock arms with people that we, are, we differ from. And I've caught grief for that. And that's okay. I'd rather catch grief for that than a lot of other things I catch grief for, so that's, uh, that's good. Um, yet our belief in soul competency teaches us that every individual has the right before God to choose to believe what he desires, even if we as Baptists disagree with him. Soul liberty, furthermore, does not mean that people can believe whatever they choose about the Bible or other uh, spiritual, religious, theological, or philosophical topics, and that all those beliefs are somehow all true. The Bible does not teach the viewpoint that all roads lead to God. We understand that. And the way is narrow. It's narrow. It's not all roads lead to heaven. Not all roads lead to, to, to salvation. Scripture also rejects the postmodern thinking that says, my truth is just as valid as your truth. Boy, now that's, a, that's something that's going on today. Uh, one of the dangers that I've seen, and now I've been here and out of FCA, so Brent, you may be a little, you may, I don't know if you're, if you're involved more in those huddles, and some of our young people would see this. Uh, one of the things I really noticed when I was working with those huddles is the kids would get together you get four or five kids at a table discussing something. Three out of five, if three out of five say they believe this, that's the consensus, and they'll all just kind of fall in. It's groupthink. It really is. And there was a lot of, a lot of that. So if you have kids in school, you need to watch those things because it's a, it's a, it's a dynamic that they, don't, they, wouldn't, they won't take absolutes. They won't say this is truth. Oh, well, you know, that, that may be truth for them, but truth for me is this. Well, we don't get to interpret the Bible that way. That, that's not how this works. We're, we're not just creating our own religion here. We're following the revealed uh, heart, mind, spirit of the Lord. Everything that we need, He has revealed to us. And we can't just make it up. We can't just change it. We, we, we believe what He says or, you know, you can believe what you want to, but the only way you're right is if you agree with God. Amen? Scripture also rejects the... Uh, oh, that's what I just read. Uh, my truth is valid, is as valid as your truth. It's not. In fact, God's Word is very clear that there is, is only God's truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Yet history confirms that Baptists as a whole... However, resolutely they, have, they have, uh, may have opposed the doctrinal tenets of others, have stood firmly in backing the rights of others to hold those views without um, uh, inter interference from civil government, religious authority, or majority, excuse me, or majority opinion. One of the stories, one of the, one of the, the things of history that I, I remember reading in, in school was that Martin Luther... Um, a lot of people helped Martin Luther, and he was making a stand and, and, and the things that were going on there. And the, the Anabaptist stood and helped and fought for him and, and defended him. And then when he got in a place of power, he killed a lot of Anabaptists. I don't know if y'all know that, but he had a lot of people killed. So it was, you know, it's, there's been a lot of things done in the name of God that, that aren't right. And so... Um, that's a, an example, again, of those who, who said, you have the right to believe this. We def, we're going to fight for your right to believe this. 
and yet then they were turned on, and they weren't allowed then to believe what they believed. It was, you need to change what you believe, and they wouldn't, and they were murdered. Um, next thing, harm to others in the name of soul liberty is unacceptable. Example of that simple, just Islam today. Uh, you know, they, they, we would say if, if you're Muslim, you have the right to believe what you want to believe. But you don't have the right to believe that you can kill someone else for not believing what you believe. And they believe that. They, the radical, it, it, it teaches that. So anytime people say, well, that's the radicals of Islam. It, no, it's Islam. Islam teaches that. And if they want to, the radicals are just the ones who believe and apply what Islam says. The moderates are ones who, well, we don't, we don't really believe that, okay? But it teaches that, that if you're an infidel, you either, you either, you either become a, a Muslim or you die. You're an infidel. And so we would reject that in, in, in every sense. Summary statement in, in this part of, 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 uh, of soul liberty. So throughout the centuries, various religious and civil authorities have persecuted Baptists in many cruel and severe ways. Yet there's no historical record that Baptist or Baptistic people have ever been the persecutors of anyone. The reason is simple. Baptists believe the Bible teaches that it is a God-given right for each individual to choose his own faith or, or have no faith at all, to make his own life choices, and ultimately to decide for himself to accept or reject the message of the Bible. We repeat that Baptists do not think that all choices are right or that all beliefs are valid. In fact, we strongly seek to convince others of our understanding of the truth of God's Word. We only believe that no one has the right before God to forcefully coerce anyone to conform to another in matters of faith and conscience. This is the essence of soul liberty. Okay? All right. There's, there's the I, individual soul liberty, and the B-A-P-T-I-S. To now, tonight, we're going to get into the S. And that is, uh, the new page of notes is saved church membership. Now, when I say that, let me just ask this. When I say that phrase, saved church membership, how many of you go, well, why would it be any other way? How many of you kind of think that way? Right? You go, that's even, an, that's even an issue? Yeah, it's an issue. And I would say, listen, I would say it's an issue even in some like-minded churches. And, and why I say that is I've known, of some, I've known of some churches that to join the church, I mean, somebody could have walked in tonight, come in and walk down the aisle at the invitation and said, I've trusted Jesus my Savior, and, and they'd vote on them, and, and amen. Amen, church. We want to receive brother. What's your name? My name Brother Joe. We want to receive Brother Joe tonight into the fellowship. Joe, you know Jesus is your Savior? Yeah, I do. But they don't know anything about him. careful what I say. When you have family that listen, you don't want to necessarily say things that hurt people. Um, my brother, my half-brother, uh, in 2010, took his own life. Before that, he had, uh, he had joined the Masons. And so the Masons told him, you know, you need to look the part. You need to look like an upstanding good citizen. And they, they asked him to join a church. So he joined the church. He joined a little Baptist church. And I talked to the pastor. Pastor baptized him. I never heard my brother testify one word about, and I'd had conversations with him, about trusting Jesus as his Savior, that he had gotten saved, anything. 
But he went to that church. And so I asked the pastor, when the day of the funeral, as we're talking, I said, so tell me. Actually, it was the night before. It was at the funeral home. I said, so tell me about this. I understand you baptized him. Yep. I said, well, tell me about the conversation y'all had before you baptized him. What do you mean? I said, well, tell me about the conversation about how when he trusted Christ as his Savior, how did he come to faith in Christ? Tell me about that. He didn't have an answer. He never had a conversation with him. He never, he never vetted him on whether he truly had had a conversion to Christ. He just, I don't know if he just walked out and said, I need to be baptized. And, well, praise God, let's baptize you, bro. You know, so there are what we might think were like-minded. That's a Baptist church, and yet did nothing. You know what, if my brother, I hope to God he made a decision. He never let me know it. In our conversations, I would, I would have no idea that he ever gave any thought to his eternal destination. We rejected that. He scoffed at it. I hope he did. But that pastor didn't do his job. Nobody in that church did their job. And I don't have any, I don't have any reason to believe he made, he, he made that decision. So those things do happen. But as we're going to learn in this, saved church membership is a vital, vital part. And it's very it's a biblical thing. It's not just something we go, you know, that would be cool. We should do it that way and make up our own way of doing it. Scripture is going to show us that, and that's what we're going to look at here uh, tonight and next week. So as we've seen, the Baptist emphasis on soul liberty naturally implies the need for every individual to make his or her own decision on matters of faith. One of the major biblical implications of this belief is symbolized by the expression of believer's baptism. We've talked about that, okay? Which, which a believer chooses as a public symbol of personal commitment and in most cases is the right that gains the believer membership into a local congregation of fellow believers. Now, that's some churches. Again, I'll say that. There are some churches when they baptize someone, they automatically become a member. We don't do that. And if somebody has to have been baptized scripturally, uh, believers' baptism, and I say scriptural baptism because uh, we, we don't receive... Um, you know, christening or sprinkling or something like that. It's got to be the way the Bible says it, okay? Um, but we don't automatically, if someone makes a, makes a profession of faith, we want to baptize them. They want to be baptized, we'll baptize them. But we don't automatically put them into church membership. We still want them to go through the same process, and there's, there's some other reasons. I think I shared that a couple of weeks ago. Gave an example. Let's say someone's living in sin. And they, they make a decision for Christ. They need to fix some things in their life and get out of that sin, right? And so I, I, would, I would baptize that person. They say they trust in Christ. We'll baptize that person. And yet there's no moving away from the sin. The problem I have then, I'm going to make you a church member, and the first thing i got to do as a church member is bring you before the church for church discipline. There's some things that public sin needs to be repented of and turned away from and walked away from. Amen? And... Um, so that's an important part of that. This choice of personal faith in Christ followed by believer's baptism is what we mean by saved church membership. If they're going to be a member of the church, they need to have a clear testimony of salvation. And if they're going to be a member of the church, they have to be uh, baptized, believer's baptism, scripture baptism, after salvation, um, by immersion, all of the whole deal. So the meaning of saved membership, the key reference here is in Acts chapter 2, Verses 41 through 47. I'll read that. Uh, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions good, and divided them among all, as, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the description is, again, as we start to talk about this, is saved church membership, also called regenerate church membership, means they've been regenerated, means that membership in a New Testament local church consists only of those individuals who have openly and consciously confessed, and there's your first blank you've been looking for. Wait, it's going to fill up. Uh, Consciously confessed Jesus Christ as Savior. This act of faith is followed by believers' baptism, by immersion, which is both a symbolic representation of being baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ at salvation, as well as the public right of local church membership. This statement means that the membership of of a New Testament local church consists only of those who have been saved by God's grace and baptized by immersion as a means of demonstrating their intention to learn and obey the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible and taught by the church. So let's explore the major biblical principles that undergird this doctrine. First thing here is uh, two biblical meanings of church, the word church. Now, the Greek word there is, is ekklesia, ekklesia, and, and, and that's the word that's translated church. So the word church is found more than 100 times in the English Bible, and it literally means the word there for church, that word ekklesia, it literally, the literal meaning is called out ones. Okay? So when you think about the church, we've been called out of this world. We've been called out of sin. We've been called out of darkness. So the church is the called out ones, those that are born again. as a part of the bo- They are a part of the body of Christ. But when we come together as the church, it's the called out ones. Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament defines the root word as a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, comma, an assembly. In New Testament usage, the word uh, was used to refer to the assembly of the people of Israel. That's found in Acts 7.38 and Hebrews 2.12. It was also found uh, used to the, uh, relating to the governing councils, the assembly of a city or other jurisdiction, and to any gathering or assembly of people in general in Acts 19.39. Yet beginning with the New Testament mention of ecclesia, in Matthew 16, 18, the Bible imparts a, new, a unique use of the word when Jesus spoke of building my church, my ecclesia, my called out ones, okay, my assembly, my church. Since then, in the present uh, New Testament era, the word church is used almost exclusively as a reference to the sacred assembly of God's people. So when we talk about the church, we're talking about the gathering. In the New Testament, you're talking about the gathering of God's people together, the assembly of God's people. In this regard, church has a dual meaning. It can mean assembly. But when we're talking about the New Testament usage, the biblical usage, the usage Jesus had for that word, and what we're talking about when we talk about scriptures here, it is is believers. It is the called out ones. All right, first thing here to look at is the universal body of, of Christ. 
First, we recognize the spiritual universal church to which all believers belong immediately upon accepting Christ as Savior. And when we talk about the universal church, we're not talking about the Catholic church. Roman Catholic church believes they're the universal church. They like to, to say that. If you're going to go to heaven, there's one way to go to heaven. You have to go through the Catholic church. What's the word? Hogwash. Hogwash. That, that's, it's not, that's not the scriptures, okay? So the, the universal church is all believers everywhere. Um, so, so this use of church is synonymous with, with other Old, uh, New Testament terms such as uh, the body of Christ, Romans 12, 5 and 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the bride of Christ. I think the references are there. You can go back and look at these if you'd like to. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the called, uh, the called of Christ, Beloved of Christ, of God, saints, that's 1 Corinthians 15, 6 and Romans 1, 6 and 7. The kingdom of the son of his love, Colossians 1, 13. House of God, 1 Timothy 3, 15. Church of the firstborn, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. Just to name a few, there are others. So the universal church consists of every believer in Jesus Christ from the death of Christ to the rapture. So that's the church. That's the universal church. Okay, then let's talk about what's the difference between the universal church and the local church. Well, local congregation of believers. So when we talk about the church, this is the church here. But we are a part of the universal church. If you're a believer in here, you're a part of the universal church. But then, then the, we can't have a universal church meeting all around the world at one time, right? So the God's plan was all these local churches. You see it in the New Testament. Is, is churches were planted everywhere they went. Churches were planted. And so we have local churches. In, in, in you, anywhere there's a need for it, there should be one, right? And when there was people and there's not a church, there ought to be a church. So that's what we have here. We have the called out ones. We have the body of Christ. Now, I don't assume that every person, even tonight in here, is a believer. I don't make that assumption. In fact, I, I make the assumption otherwise. And, and even with... Members, I, don't make, I do not make the assumption that every member on our role is truly born-again believer. I hope they are, but I don't make that assumption. I would tend to assume the other way uh, and for, for things we've talked about before. There's a lot of decisions that are made that aren't real solid decisions. They weren't called. They come to Christ maybe their way. You know, I, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to come and pray. But they weren't convicted. The Lord didn't draw them or whatever. There's a lot of different things there. But we are... This church here is the called out ones, the body of Christ, locally meeting together right here. The second aspect of church is the local church, which receives the priority emphasis in the New Testament, over 90 references. A New Testament local church is an assembly of born-again Christian believers who freely unite together to worship and serve God in one particular physical location. That describes what we are here. We are an assembly of born-again Christian believers who freely unite together to worship and serve God in one particular physical location, which is Central Florida, more specifically uh, East Seminole County, East Southeast Seminole County, I guess, um, Geneva, but also the surrounding areas that we can reach into. So these two aspects of God's church, the one universal spiritual church and the multitude of local churches, exclusively define what the church is, biblically speaking. Nothing more, nothing less. We're a gathering of this part, this locale of the universal church. 
gathering right here. Does that make sense? Okay, well, that's where I have to stop. That's where I have to stop. Okay. All right, any, any comments, any questions, thoughts? Uh, that was rapid fire tonight, I know. My eyes are working a little better. I could actually read tonight. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, was, you know, there were the Crusades, and there was, that goes back to the, the it was forcing Christianity on, on, on people. It was forcing state religion on people. It was coercion. It was all of that. It was, so we'll, we'll talk about some of those things next week. Okay? You can hold off. All right. Everybody good? You sure? Everybody tired tonight? Everybody tired? Are you tired? I feel like I've been up 30 hours. This, this stuff is just so weird. Y'all pr- pr- pray for me. P- keep praying. I feel like every day this is getting a, a little better. And I just ho- keep hoping I'm going to wake up one morning and it's just going to be gone. So, um, But I do covet your prayers in that. I'm... I'm uh, I'm, I, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I've asked you to take it away, but I ain't going to get mad. I'm not upset about it. Lord, you've got a plan and help me to learn what you want me to learn and, and, uh, and use it how you see fit. If this never goes away, I'll live with it. I'll figure out how to function, but I sure hope that ain't the case. All right, Todd Brain, Brian Todd, stand up if you would, sir, and, and close our service in prayer. Thank you. Yeah,